stay and be a part of that as well. But hey, we're jumping into a brand new series this week called Church Chat. And in this series, we're looking at different words that we use in church, but we may not necessarily be familiar with what that word means or why we use that word. And so I'm really looking forward to this week. But before I give you the word and we jump into it, I want to start by reading to you Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So Jesus has just come back from the grave. He's been hanging out with his disciples for 40 days after he came back from the dead, and he's getting ready to leave. And these are like Jesus' last words, his last conversations with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Acts 1, 6 through 8 says this. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So Jesus is getting ready to leave. He gathers together his group of disciples, and he gives them a mission which leads us to our word for today. Our word in our first week of church chat is the word missionary. Missionary. Now, some of you maybe have heard us use the word mission or missions. Maybe some of you have been on a missions trip before. Uh, For churches that were getting kind of trendy maybe in the past 10 years or so, they've started using the word missional and saying we are a missional church. We are a missionally focused church. Maybe you've heard that word before as well. They all essentially mean a similar thing or the same thing. For those of you who grew up in church, you might remember when a missionary would come on Sunday mornings and share their story and, you know, your church supported them so they would share what they were doing and they would share these crazy stories of, we snuck 10,000 Bibles in under this briefcase and it looked like it was a normal briefcase but there were Bibles in there and we got by the guys with the machine guns and they were looking at us and they knew we were up to something but I just looked back at them and the power of God protected us and usually the guys who were telling these stories, they look like something from a Mr. Rogers program. You're like, you're the one who did that? You're the one who got by these people? You're the one who got, you're, you're, you're man, this guy's crazy. It's like the first real life superhero or, or spy that I ever met in my entire life. They would do some crazy things. I remember a couple of years ago, when I was working at a shoe store, I, I was working with a guy who had no affiliation with God or, it, you know, he, he was like, hey, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I, I don't really like the whole church thing. And he was still a great friend of mine. I love this guy. And one of the things he said to me, because he was talking about his problems with the church, he said, what's with those missionary people? What's the matter with them? Can't they just mind their own business? They go to other countries. They get put in prison. What are these people thinking? And I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's this whole mission involved and there's this thing called the gospel and they're trying to get it to other people. And he's like, it just doesn't doesn't make any sense to me, man. These people are crazy. But that's kind of the picture we have of a missionary or missions trips or, or whatever that looks like. And it's funny, when I, was, when I was researching for this message, I, of course, did some very deep research on BibleTheGateway.com, and I went and typed in the word missionary to see how many times the word appears in the scriptures. And when you actually type in the word, the word missionary really actually never pops up in the Bible. It pops up in a few different translations as a heading for Paul's missionary journeys. That's what they had call his journeys in the book of Acts, but not even all the translations even use that word. So what exactly is a missionary? Well, I did some other fabulous research. I went to merriamwebstersdictionary.com through Google and, and uh, find a missionary is this, a person undertaking a mission and especially a religious mission. 
So that's essentially what Jesus asks his disciples to do, to undertake this mission of bringing forth the message of the gospel. You are witnesses of the resurrection, and I want you to take this to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And then I looked up the word mission as well. It was uh, defined in this way. A mission is a specific task which a person or group is charged with. So what exactly is the mission that we've been entrusted with as those who follow Jesus? Well, we've been given the mission of declaring and displaying the work of Jesus Christ. We've been given the mission of declaring and displaying the work of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus gave that mission to his followers, his disciples, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I believe that he's given that mission to every single one of us as well. That that's not just the mission that was intended for that group of people in that place in that time period, but this great commission that Jesus gives is for every single one of us. And so I want to make this contention today, that you are made to be a missionary. You are made to be a missionary. Your life is meant to be lived on mission for Christ. Your life is meant to move in the direction of bringing his message to wherever it is that he has placed you. And here's why I said you are made to be a missionary. Because whenever you begin to follow in the way of Jesus, you are living into the reality that you were made to live in. You are living into the life and into the reality that you were designed and created to live in. So you and I are made to be missionaries. You might be thinking, that sounds a little intimidating. What exactly does that look like? How could I possibly be a missionary? I don't want to leave this country. I actually like where I live right now. But I read a book by a missionary one time, and I felt like that I should go to another country, and I felt really guilty and ashamed about it, so maybe I should go to another country, and I don't know what to do. You don't have to go to another country to be a missionary, just so everybody knows. Some of them do, and that's a good thing, and they're called to do that, but you, you can stay where you're at. That's okay. It's okay to like where you live. You don't have to feel convicted because somebody else went somewhere and you know lived on nothing for four years of their life, and you didn't do it. You don't have to feel bad about that. Not everybody's called to that, but you are made to be a missionary. And so I want us to walk through this commission from Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and see how he has actually equipped us and called us to be missionaries, to be those who declare and display the message and the work of Jesus wherever it is that he has placed us. So the first thing is this, is the means for the mission. Because if you're going to go on a mission, you need the means to, to make the mission possible. You need the tools. You need the equipment. And it's funny because Jesus gathers around this group of disciples. These are not necessarily your star students. These are fishermen, tax collectors, social rejects, and they were later on recognized as untrained and ordinary men in Acts chapter 4. This is not necessarily the group of people that you would say, I cannot wait to start a movement with those people. They are the best of the best. No, these were the guys who, when Jesus went on a cross, they went hiding and they were like, no, no thank you. I don't want to be too hard on them because who knows how we all would have reacted in that moment as well. But this is, I'm just trying to make a point. These are not necessarily the guys who you're like, yeah, you, these, these are the best of the best right here. And then they were also living in a time period where they did not have the technology available to them to get the message out quickly. Peter couldn't say, hey, guys, I got this, I got this great idea for a TikTok video. It's going to go viral. People are going to love it. I'm just going to do something really stupid, and then I'll have millions of followers. Then I'll start uploading gospel content just so people will listen to me. They didn't have technology. They didn't have social media. They didn't have any of the things that we have today. They had to spread this through preaching and through word of mouth. So what are the means available to this random group of 
of guys who nobody else would have probably picked to start a movement. What do they have? What do you have? What the means for the mission? Well, Jesus said this to them in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As soon as you give your life to Christ, Ephesians 1.13 says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just this little, hey, how's it going? You know, the, the Holy Spirit is a force. It is the very presence and being of God living and dwelling inside of us. That's the means for the mission. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he equips us with what God, he equips us to, to go into whatever it is that God is leading us into. I love so many people, they love to just talk about, you have, I've talked about this before, so I won't go into it too much, but you have one group of people who the only time they talk about the Holy Spirit is when they want to guilt you and shame you and say, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit. Then you have another group of people when all they ever want to do is talk about the Holy Spirit and they never ever talk about Jesus. Both of those things are out of balance and they're out of whack. The Holy Spirit of God is dwelling and living inside of every believer and it's because you receive the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Jesus, and so therefore you are given the power and the means to make the mission possible. Paul explains this in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. That word power that Paul uses there is the same word that Jesus uses in Acts chapter 1. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. You will receive power. You will ex receive an explosive, supernatural power, and it's the means that has been given to you by God to declare who God is to the world around you. Paul says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 11. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit that was in the risen Christ, the, the Holy Spirit that, that gave Jesus that resurrection power lives in you and me once we've given our lives to Jesus. That's what that song means that we sang last week, Rattle, when it says, resurrection power runs in my veins too. We have resurrection power living inside of us. Isn't that great to think of? Like we, wherever we go, God goes. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Heaven and earth have collided within those who are following Jesus, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit wherever we go. That's the means for the mission. He's given us the tools we need. The Holy Spirit gives us power. He gives us gifts. He gives us abilities. He speaks into our lives and reminds us of the words of Jesus, John 14, 26. And so the Holy Spirit is the power that we have to accomplish the mission that God has sent us on. And I, I was thinking about this, and when I was a kid, I, I had a big imagination. I loved to, to dress up and, and, and have, have all these different costumes and outfits. I, I asked my parents. I was Davy Crockett one day. I had the rifle and everything and pretended to shoot things. And then I, you know, I was Superman the next day, and, I, and then the next day I'd be Batman. And I, and I loved to dress. And, you know, when you're Superman, you imagine that you can fly. When you're Batman, you imagine that you have this grappling hook and you can run around and save villains and do all these crazy things, and you imagine a different kind of world around you. And many of us do this when we're children. We imagine that we have the ability to create a different world, and for some of us, even create a better world. But for some reason, when we become adults, 
we stop imagining that we have the ability to create a better world and we start expecting others to create a better world for us. We stop thinking that I've been given the power that God has within me to create a a better world around me. I just think somebody else should do it for me. It's funny to me that every four years when the presidential election rolls around, people act as if their candidate does not get elected, then human history is going to come to a screaming halt. And I just started thinking about this. If, If you really believe if you really believe in what you're, the candidate that you're backing is going for, then you should not be relying on them for the ideals that you claim to be so convicted by. It is your responsibility to work towards those ideals. <laughs> it, it is your responsibility to put in the work and fight for those ideals. It's not just, oh, if they don't get in, then everything's done and I'm just going to go hide in a corner and complain about it. No, we have, you're supposed to work towards that. But unfortunately, that mindset of I'm just upset with people, I'm just upset with the government, or I'm just upset with my boss, or I'm just upset with my family, that mindset of I can't do anything about it, why can't they just do something for me, that has come into our spiritual lives as well. Because if you look at Acts 1-6, Jesus' followers come to him, and they say, hey, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? When are you going to do that? When are you going to do another thing for us? If I'm Jesus at this point, I'm, I'm losing my mind with these people. <laughs> Excuse me? Do you remember what happened like 40-some days ago when I'm hanging on a tree, and you literally left me hanging there? You literally just left me hanging there. I was all alone beaten, bruised, and battered, and you, you just abandoned me. And then I came back from the dead. You didn't even believe it at first. Mary had to come tell you guys about it. And now you're asking me to build the kingdom of Israel again? What more do I need to do for you people? I, if I'm him, I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, you gotta get on, you gotta get on. You gotta do something yourselves. Jesus said, no, 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 you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong thing. And we always want God to give us something. We always, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But we weren't designed to be spiritual spectators. We were designed by the Spirit of God to, bring those, to be those who bring a solution. Don't be a spectator. Be a solution bringer. I don't even know if that's a thing, but be, be a solution bringer. Bring solutions. The Spirit of God is the power inside of us to bring the solution to wherever it is God has placed you. God has placed you wherever you're at for a reason and a purpose, and he has given you the power of his spirit to be somebody who imagines and creates and brings solutions. The spirit of God was present with God in the creation. Genesis chapter 1, the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. So the spirit of God is creative. The spirit of God was involved in the creative process. And so therefore, the spirit of God, as he dwells inside of us, we should allow him to speak into our lives in such a powerful way that we begin to create a different world around us. We begin to create the new creation that God has in mind. Look at how the disciples were described in Acts 17, 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They were described as the people who were turning the world upside down. Spiritual restoration will always manifest itself in a physical restoration. Spiritual renewal will always bring about a new physical reality. But we have to be willing to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I will put in the work to be a part of the solution. Instead of sitting around and always waiting on God, why don't you restore the kingdom, allow God to do such a supernatural work in you that you begin to see a new physical reality around you because the Spirit of God is moving in you in such a powerful way. That's what he has in store for you. In Christ Jesus, you have the Spirit of God, which means you've got what it takes.
You've got what it takes. You've got what it takes. Look at your, look at your neighbor. Just talk for people for a second. It's okay. Look at your neighbor and say, you got what it takes. You got what it takes. Somebody shout it across the room if nobody's sitting next to you. Just yell it. You got what it takes. You got what it takes. You've got what it takes. The Spirit of God is the power inside of you to bring about the new creation that God has in store for you and around you. A spiritual restoration will always lead to a physical restoration. And secondly, this is going to be our shortest point here, but we need to highlight this, that we are messengers of the mission. We are messengers of the mission. We've been given the means for the mission, and we are messengers of the mission. It's funny what Jesus does here, because Jesus is already, like, really, really irritated the religious leaders of his time. Really irritated them, because he came back from the dead. He wasn't supposed to do that. They started spreading rumors. Oh, they stole his body. (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he came back from the dead. Over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Savior. It's a whole thing you can read about in 1 Corinthians 15. But he's back from the dead. He's irritated the religious leaders. And then after he gives this commission in Acts 1.8, he ascends into heaven, which means he has now really irritated the governmental structures of his time period. Because there were rumors going around, the Caesars would spread rumors that whenever a Caesar passed away or a Roman emperor passed away, that their spirit would ascend into the heavens. But now Jesus is like, oh, your stupid rumor about your spirit going into the heavens, watch this. I'm going to show a bunch of people my body rising into the heavens. So Jesus has already irritated the religious leaders. Now he's upstaging Caesar, and he's irritating the governmental leaders of his time. Jesus is like that kid in school that everybody wants to be around because he's really captivating, but you know that the teachers, you don't want the teachers to see you with him because he's going to get you in trouble. Jesus, Jesus had upstaged the religious leaders. He'd upstaged the governmental structures, and then he says to them, hey, guess what? You shall be my witnesses. That's who you're going to be. You are messengers of the mission. You are my witnesses. You are witnesses of this event, of the resurrection, and you are going to go tell other people about it. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this eloquent and beautiful sermon. You should go read it sometime. Read it later today or tomorrow. We all should be reading the scriptures. It's great for you. You'll love it. But anyways, so you get to Acts chapter 2, and here's like a summarization of what Peter had to say in Acts 2.38. He said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the message that they are witnesses of and this is the message that each and every one of us carries once we've turned from our old life and given our life to Jesus. We are messengers of this to repent, receive the forgiveness of sins that's only available to you in Christ Jesus, live in the power of the Holy Spirit and then tell people, Tell people, tell people, we are messengers of this mission. We have the means for the mission. We are messengers of the mission. The message of Jesus Christ died for your sins and came back from the grave so that you can have new life. And then I want to talk here for a moment about the mission field of the mission. It's been a few minutes here because this one is really important. Because our idea of missions at times goes back to the example that I started with with missionaries. And there are a lot of missionaries I know, they are great people, and they are called to other parts of the world. God has called them there. And maybe one of you in here, God is going to call you to do that one of these days. Or maybe you're watching online, and God is calling you to do that. That is a great thing, and that is a noble thing, and it's a special call from God. But I want to make something abundantly clear. You do not have to hop on a plane and go to another country to be a missionary. (laughs) 
You don't, and, it, and what's tragic to me is that sometimes we think that's what we have to do. That I'll go hop on a plane, I'll go preach Jesus, 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 and I'll come back home and I don't even know the name of the coworker who sits next to me at work. And the mission field that you are the most equipped to reach people in is the one that you are avoiding the most. Because the culture that you're involved in every single day, the people that you're rubbing, you're, you're rubbing shoulder to shoulder with and living life with, those are the people we know the language, we know the culture, we're more familiar with, the with their struggles that they're going through because those are the people that are living a very similar life to the one you're living and God has placed you there so that you can bring the message of the gospel to that place. The place that you are the most equipped for is not the place that you should be avoiding the most, but it's almost, we, we turn our minds into autopilot. Remember in driver's education when they talked about how within, the, within five minutes of your house is the place, maybe, maybe they only taught this in Virginia, but I remember, they, they were like, within five minutes of your house is the place that you're most likely to get into an accident because your brain just kind of goes into autopilot and it's, oh, I know these roads, I know everything, and then all of a sudden something pops out that's not normally there and you got a problem on your hands. This happens to us in our faith life as well. We go to another context, and it's just, oh, I'm, I'm a different person now, and it's just, it almost creates a false reality at times, and then we come back home, and we just get back into autopilot of, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's Steve again, and oh, we're going to go over here and complain today, and, you know, and we just get in this routine, and we just go into autopilot, and we just turn it off. And I, listen, I've been guilty of this many times as well, so please, please don't hear me condemning anyone. There are times when I'm like, I, you know, I could have had a conversation with that person. I could have, I could have went out of my way for it. Listen, all of us, all of us have missed out on this before. But the, the place that you are most equipped to be a missionary should be the place that you are most embracing to be a missionary. In your own backyard. Because that's where God has placed you. And therefore, you have the best familiarity with what these people are going through, how their life is going, and how they could use Jesus. And here's the other thing, and I'm going to get to this in a minute. If there's someone in your life, if, let's say you, you're here today and you just, you really love Jesus, and there's someone in your life that you know they could use Jesus, you don't have to try to manipulate every conversation to get it to Jesus. Sometimes people just need a conversation. And then maybe after some time, God will do a supernatural work where a door is open. But don't leave a conversation thinking, oh, man, I didn't rip out John 3.16 that time. What the heck? I'm just so, oh, my gosh. God, please don't be mad at me. That's, that's not how it works. <laughs> but, it's to, but the mission field, you've been placed in a certain place at a certain time for a very specific reason. And Jesus said this to his followers in Acts 1.8, go in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He tells them to start in Jerusalem. Start in your own backyard. And he's not saying that because he thinks one group of people is more important than the other. He's saying that because I think he's an expert in strategy. He knows that the disciples are best going to relate to people in Jerusalem because it's their people. And then you can build up a good mass there and move out to Judea and then go to Samaria. It's a strategy. It's a strategy. Start in your own backyard. Where has God placed you and why has he placed you there? And so, so they start to bring the message. And then Jesus also says something that's really, really important that I think every one of us needs to hear today. Based off of all of the events that have been happening over the past couple of years and all the tension that's happening amongst us as humans. Uh, he said to them, go to Samaria. There was great division and tension between Jewish people and Samaritans. 
Jesus said, no more of that garbage in my kingdom movement. No more of that. The gospel is for all people in all places at all times. And you don't get to say, oh, I'm not taking it to that group because I don't like them or I'm not taking it to that person because he ticked me off and gossiped about me. No, that's not how it works. The gospel is for all people in all places and Jesus is saying no more of that garbage. <laughs> Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Well, what, is this, what does this look like when we embrace this mission? Well, thankfully, we see an example of this in Acts chapter 2. And I've read this passage here multiple times, but it's, but it's something to anchor ourselves in as we continue to build up as a church of who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do. He said in Acts chapter 2, here's what was happening in the early church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread into prayer. So they were getting together for worship and prayer and, and, and that, and then everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. A supernatural work was being done and all those who had believed were together and that all things in common. Christ does not bring division, Christ brings unity. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one in mind in the temple, they had a unity of mind and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Notice at the beginning, go, can you go back to that one for just a second? They were selling their property and possessions and sharing them and meeting needs as they saw necessary. Next slide. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So people were being saved daily. After Peter's message in Acts 2, 3,000 people got saved. It was amazing. It was a move of God. But people were being saved daily, but they were also meeting practical needs and taking care of one another. And there was a unity of mind. They were working together. When we come together as one, when we come together in unity in the church, did you know that we are actually fulfilling a prayer of Jesus in John 17? Jesus prayed for his church, and he prayed that we would be of one mind, and that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And so when we allow that unity to happen, we are fulfilling and answering a prayer that Christ had for us. And when, and when we say we're going to move forward in unity and we're going to sacrificially give to one another, when we are going to be together in the way and the movement of Jesus, we are fulfilling a, a commission from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 when he said we are one under one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's a oneness and a unity that comes with following Jesus that is not found in the rest of the world around us, and we get to be those who bring that out to the mission field. And we see a fruit of that occurring in Acts chapter 2, and that's the vision that I have for New Story Church, that we would be people who sacrificially give to one another, that we would sacrificially give back to our community, and we would bring a message of oneness and unity and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. You are made to be a missionary. You are made to be a missionary. And in Acts chapter one, we see that Jesus gives us, he's such a great leader. Jesus, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, but he's also a genius leader. He gives his followers the tools necessary. He gives them the identity they need. And then he gives them the focus of where to go. So he gives them, he gives them the, the tools necessary, the means, the Holy Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He then gives us a new identity. You are witnesses. You are messengers. And that identity takes precedent over any other identity. And then here's the focus. Go to these places. And for us, it's where has God placed you? And how can you continue to display and declare the gospel wherever God has placed you because you are made to be a missionary. Now, 
For those of you who take notes, I'm going to make this real practical. If you're not taking notes, you should take notes. You should take notes if you're watching online. You should also subscribe. Thank you. But anyways, uh, <laughs> here, I don't always do this, but these are going to be four very practical steps that you can take in embracing this new identity to be a missionary and saying, I'm going to live out this reality wherever God has placed me. This is, this is, this is really, really simple. It's not always easy. It can be difficult. But here, here are four steps, and here, here you go. Just to put a disclaimer out there, the first one that I'm going to give you, this is the most important out of all four. This is the most important. The next ones, they're really important as well, and they're great. But this one is the most important of how you can begin to be a missionary the way that God has called you to be, and you can fulfill the mission of Jesus that he gave us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. First is this, pray for and invest in the people in your everyday life. Pray for and invest in the people in your everyday life and do both of those things, not just one of them. Don't just pray for them because sometimes we use prayer as an opportunity to avoid, to avoid investing. Oh, I'm just gonna pray for them. No, you're avoiding a conversation that God told you to have. <laughs> so we're not doing that. I'm just gonna pray for him. You're not, no, you're not so spiritual. You're running away from things, so stop it. Prayer needs to happen. But also, investment needs to happen. Investment is not, hey, uh, you know, uh, I've been watching you from afar and, you know, noticed you had some problems and Ephesians says, don't become drunk with wine and, you know, I've just been noticing you might have a real problem here. I've been watching from a distance. That's not investment. That's being judgmental and condemning people. That's not investment. Investment is you know this person so well You've invested in, Jesus was constantly investing in people's lives. Jesus was at parties. Jesus was at weddings. Jesus was using parables that were so relatable to the people of his time that they were like, this guy's brilliant. Paul was invested. In Acts chapter 17, he went to another culture. He goes to Athens, and he knows the scriptures of their culture. He never quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from their scriptures and then looks at the God that they've been worshiping and says, hey, that unknown God you're worshiping, <laughs> Jesus. It said that he observed their culture. He invested, he invested, he invested. Investing also doesn't mean, oh, I'm just investing with the group here. Let's all go get drunk together tonight. No, that's not investing. <laughs> there does need to be a little bit of, we're gonna be different. But we're also gonna pray. Pray and invest for the people that God has placed in your life. And the prayer one, and that can be difficult because if there's something that you, someone you have a lot of tension with, here's what you'll notice. Your prayers may not immediately change them, but they will begin to change you. And pray that you would see them the way Jesus sees them. So pray for and invest in the people in your everyday life, the people you work with, the people you live with, wherever there's that. Pray and invest. Pray and invest. Here's the next one. The next one is this. Join the story team. We would love for you to join the story team and serve with us here at New Story Church because God has called us to serve within his church. And we have places that any of you could get plugged in and become a part of what we're doing here. Uh, Aaron oversees our production team in the back. They do pro presenter. They do our streaming. They're unbelievable. If you're saying, hey, I'd be interested in that, get plugged in with that. We can connect you with Aaron. If, you are, if you're saying, I would love to lead a story group at New Story Church, my wife Kim, she oversees those. You can get connected to a story group and start leading one. We could use some new story group leaders because ours are filling up very quickly. And uh, Kim also oversees greeters. Maybe you could be on the greeting team or the setup and teardown team. You could get connected with her on that. Uh, Lindsay, who's not here this week, but she oversees our cafe team. Get connected with her. She could help. She could get you connected there. 
Also, Story Kids. We could use some help down in our kids' ministry as well and, and continue to invest in, in the next generation because we believe in them. And this is, listen, anybody can serve in New Story Kids as long as you're a follower of Jesus. I'm just gonna put out one little thing right now. A lot of times, guys avoid helping out in kids' ministry. I don't know why. But children do need to see an example of a godly man as well. So if they're, if, yeah. They, they need to see that as well. And that's it. Hey, if you're, if you're a woman and you volunteer down there, thank you. We love you. Thank you for doing that. I don't want to downplay that at all. But, but, but maybe, maybe there's some guys we could get down there as well so they could see a good example of that too. But anyways, we, we could use some volunteers and story kids on our story team because we are writing a new story and we're growing. We had all these people at Easter last week and we got to continue to build up the team and connect with people. And then finally, Neil oversees our security team. Did I say get connected with Courtney for story kids? Courtney, she's the person to get connected to. Neil, uh, he oversees our security team. You could get connected with him as well if you want to serve on our security team. But then leading into our next practical step, Neil is going to be overseeing our new outreach team that we're forming here at New Story Church. Because we're not going to be hypocrites from the stage here and say, oh, go to your backyard, the mission field, and expect everyone to go do it and not also do something about it as a whole, as a collective. Yes, you need to be doing it individually, but we're going to do this together as well. And we are forming an outreach team here at New Story Church where we are going to start to see what are some practical needs that we can meet in our community in Kenton and Buffalo and in western New York as a whole. And Neil is going to be the point person for our outreach team as we continue to do some work here locally in this area and next week, we are going to have the first meeting ever of our outreach team for anybody who's interested. If you come to this meeting, you're not saying, oh, I'm definitely on the outreach team. No, you, you can come if you're just interested and you're still trying to figure things out. But this meeting is going to be at 1 p.m. down in our classroom next Sunday. We're bringing in a local missionary named Jeff Hackett. He is going to come and he's going to help us ask some questions and get to kind of know our area a little bit and think about how can we practically write a new story where we are. How can we embrace the new story that God has called us to write in the community that we're in? So you can join the story team, pray about coming to the outreach meeting next week at 1 p.m. And then this is the last one. All of us can do this together. Fill up the bin for Kenton Closet. What do you mean by that, Scott? There is a big bin out in our hallway for Kenton Closet. If you've been with us a while, Kenton Closet is a local outreach that we work with. And what they do is they provide clothes for students in the Kenton school system who, who can't afford clothes. And these students can go to the closet once a month, and they've created this beautiful space for them. It looks like a real store, and they can go in and, and pick out clothes. And there's a bin here that we can fill up with clothes. We did this in the fall. We filled it to the brim. We filled the thing up with clothes, and I want us to do that next week. So as you're going through spring cleaning, if there are any clothes you're like, I don't really need this anymore, or any shoes or something like that, bring that. I want us as a church to fill up that bin. You can go buy new clothes if you want to, but please bring new clothes, new shoes, or gently used clothes and gently used shoes. Do not bring stuff that you mow the lawn in. Uh, that's That's... That's not what we're looking for, uh, but just bring new clothes or gently used stuff, and I believe that we as a church can fill up that bin and continue to communicate to Kenton Closet and the students of the Kenton community, we love you, we're here for you, and we're here to meet some practical needs. Everybody got that? Amen. That's what we're going to do. We're here, we're here so that you can experience your new story in Christ, but also so we can write a new story in our community. So start praying for and investing in the people that God has placed in your everyday life. Pray about joining our story team. We have point people for all of that. And if you got really confused of who to talk to, just go to our black tables after the service. We'll get you connected. 
pray about coming to our outreach meeting next week at 1 p.m. And then finally, the bin for Kenton Closet. Let's fill that up together next week. Let's make that happen. Why? Because you are made to be a missionary. We as a church are called to live on mission and fulfill the mission of God in the world. And we do that by meeting practical needs in the name of Jesus and then bringing the gospel so that people will be saved and experience the eternal life that Christ has for them. If you would please bow your heads and join me in prayer in this moment. Jesus, thank you that we have life in you. And I pray today, Jesus, that each and every one of us would embrace the challenging call that you have for us to be a missionary. That we would see wherever it is that you have placed us as our mission field. And we would trust in the power of the Holy Spirit within us to give us gifts, abilities, to give us the words to say wherever you've placed us, you've given us the means. That we would embrace the identity as messengers of the mission and that we would then live in the mission field that you've called us to. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. May we go out to the world that you've sent us to. May we bring your message and live out the reality of being missionaries. By experiencing a spiritual renewal, may we see a physical revival in the world around us. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that we have in you. If there's anyone here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, just pray to him, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. If you prayed that or you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus and give your life to him. If you're watching online, go to newstorybuffalo.com, fill out the Get Connected link. And if you're here in person, don't leave today without stopping by the black tables and talking to someone. I wanna know what it means to follow Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. We wanna talk to you about what it means to know him. Jesus, thank you for the life that we have in you. And I pray that we as a church would bring your mission of truth, hope, life to wherever it is that you have placed us. In your name I pray, amen. If you're able to, please stand.